This week in the parish of bourses and market structure, Chinese IDB data cut, FTX and their Gubu loans, LME get hit with a minor warrant issue in nickel, B3 are all in on vermiculus, happy 160 years to Stockholm and there's a big Swiss imbalance on the shareholder register. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, episode 186. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of highlights amongst the key headlines from the week in market structure. All the analysis of the many events and happenings from the past seven days can be found in Exchange Invest's daily subscriber newsletter, the unique guide to the bourse business sent daily to your inbox. More details at exchangeinvest.com. This week, there's a curious data cutoff in China as IDBs appear forced to stop their feeds. Meanwhile, Skrill has pulled the Binance on-off ramp in British pounds from May the 22nd as NatWest looks to restrict all crypto movements. Meanwhile, even the classic Conor Cruz O'Brien maxim of historic catastrophe Gubu, grotesque, unbelievable, bizarre and unprecedented, is barely sufficient to surmise the rampantly ludicrous asset stripping by management loan Farago of FTX and Alameda, with SPF owing the companies an eye-popping $2.2 billion. Two interesting deals with a 10% vermiculous stake sale to B3's venture arm, alongside EEX adding another modest Central European asset to their expanding portfolio. NASDAQ have kicked off celebrations for the 160-year milestone for their flagship Scandinavian exchange in Stockholm, Sweden, and LME get hit with a minor warrant issue in nickel. And as I mentioned at the top of the show before the theme tune, there's a Swiss imbalance with six in the balance to boot. We made our own headlines actually for this one day this week in Exchange Invest because the media had nothing overly exciting to say. The Swiss exchange would appear to be having a constitutional issue with its shareholder structure brewing. If you didn't know that UBS had acquired Credit Suisse last weekend, well, that was faster than this Credit Suisse PR department could say merger of equals, oh wait wait a moment. Well then, what can I say? If you didn't know they'd acquired Credit Suisse, I clearly envy your commodious sub-rock abode. A lot of people have been vexed about there being no go on the Cocos. I think Matt Levine of Bloomberg was doing by far the best reviews of that in his money stuff this week. Nevertheless, there's a big angle on UBS acquiring Credit Suisse for the Bourse Parish. A very interesting situation indeed. Last time we checked in, that was last October the 17th for Exchange Invest subscribers in issue 2482. Don't forget, if you want to keep up to date with everything that's happening in the Bourse business in real time, then you need the daily newsletter of the Bourse Business Exchange Invest. Anyway, at the water cooler of exchanges at the time, I noted Credit Suisse were preparing asset sales. That likely meant a divestment of six shares. 
there was a clearly constructed six-shareholder equilibrium where UBS and Credit Suisse, as effectively the dominant duopoly of Swiss banking, and particularly Swiss investment banking, dominated the market. But they sought to have a structure for six where the smaller banks did not feel excluded. Pre-COVID, Credit Suisse was still acquiring six stock after UBS had been more aggressive still. The last score on the doors we'd recorded was circa 32% between the duopoly, while the six website this week actually points to that being 34.5%. Clearly, while the whole structure of six shareholding is intended to ensure no single dominant party or duopoly can dominate, the logic of a system built around UBS CS and the rest, now looks wildly lopsided when it becomes UBS alone at 34.5% and the rest. That holding of more than a third of the stock in Six Swiss Exchange, I suspect, will not remain for the long term. However, right now, I suspect the Swiss regulator FINMA, the Swiss National Bank and the government of Switzerland are focused on smoothing the choppy waters as opposed to what goes on with a little piece of market infrastructure, which is obviously clearly vital to the parish of exchanges, but nonetheless a lot less important than what has been going on in the mainstream banking business during the course of this week on the Swiss High Street, somewhere between Bahnhofstrasse and Paradeplatz. So, very roughly, we can impute, based on the Bank Belleville deal a while back, that six is worth about $5 billion. Of course, it's private, and in Swiss-German, private means rampant takeovers will not be frowned upon, merely received with polite suspicion, then ignored. Of course, there might be some enterprising souls who wish to take a strategic stake and the Swiss might find themselves open to such a moves. It depends, I suppose, how much UBS flex their muscles. In that case, and well, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to read the rest and understand who the possible bidders might be, you need to be a subscriber to Exchange Invest. Some of the crown jewels we're not going to be giving away free in this podcast. We do enough for free these days anyway. If you want to subscribe to Exchange Invest, you can sign up easily, ping us a message on social media or direct message me on any social media and we'll get you signed up rapidly. Or you can go to exchangeinvest.com. Over in BitCarnage this week, the FTX debtors filed schedules and statements of financial affairs with the bankruptcy court. The most exciting bit was a breakdown in payments and loans to the founders, chiefly made from Alameda Research as opposed to from FTX per se. And the numbers were simply eye-popping. $2.2 billion to Sam Bankman-Fried, $587 million to Nishad Singh, $246 million to Zhishao Gary Wang. A mere $87 million to Ryan Salome seems like small change, but it's still considerably more than 99.9% of the world's citizens will ever see in their entire family's lifetime. $25 million went to John Samuel Trabuco, and rather emphasising the fact that this really was a Major League Boys Club, the only woman on the list, Caroline Ellison, received what seems an almost paltry by comparison, six million dollars. Leaving the six million dollar woman to one side, I mean these numbers for any corporation would be broadly seven sigma beyond gubu. For a relative startup like FTX, this is a simply sublime amount. 
but the guilt-free one continues to seek yet more at the trough. Yes, indeed, SBF is demanding that FTX cover up to $5 million of his legal fees and to prioritise reimbursing his legal fees over and above the money you know, that money that belongs to the customers that has disappeared and is the reason why Sam Bankman-Fried is currently on a catastrophically huge amount of bail payment to live in his parents' basement. What an utterly grotesque farce. And to think some apparently credible people in the parish appeared to believe these thieving charlatans when we assembled at Boca Raton and thereafter last year for the FIA conference. All the BitCarnage news is in Exchange Invest Daily. There's much, much more where this came from. DM us on social media now to subscribe. Over in Hong Kong, great excitement. The three-month countdown is now being followed in Hong Kong with a veracity more often reserved by small children awaiting Santa Claus. The excitement in the SAR is palpable and entirely justified because the Hong Kong Exchange's Connect system is really hitting its stride in a way that makes what was a fabulous gateway into a massive capital portal between the world and China's mainland looking like an elegant piece of intermediation through Hong Kong's world-class exchange and financial centre. Suddenly, that gateway becomes an enormous portal and looks all the more exciting still as we're going to see renminbi payments and indeed, therefore, a free flow of investment between Chinese stocks and Hong Kong stocks through the Stock Connect gateway. Some concerns in crypto land, Moscow-based exchanges are offering to anonymously convert stablecoins for cash in the UK. That was a report from Transparency International this week, which will have doubtless unnerved UK authorities as much as it will everyone else who's been looking at the sanctions that are supposedly levied upon Russia. There are also concerns about whether London can recover as a centre for capital raising. Expect that story to go on and on. The truth is, yes, of course, London can recover. The problem is it means a pivot away from the LSE, methinks, as that now appears less motivated to be in capital markets and sees data as a panacea for profitable expansion. I'm not convinced of that move, but at the same time, if London really wants to have a world-class equity capital market, it needs to do something now, and that, I think, involves a greater swing towards the other exchanges which are already highly successful in the London market, such as SIBO Global Markets, Aquas, and indeed also other platform participants across the city. Charles Schwab was doing a lot this week to bill itself as a safe port in a storm, trying to take in as many new assets as possible, receiving billions during the course of the past week after the Silicon Valley Bank signature bank, Sesame Street, S-Bank, week of collapses. And over at the Korea Exchange, the CEO there wants to lift the curb on short selling in the Korean market. Many happy returns to Nasdaq Stockholm. They're celebrating their 160th anniversary, which is a huge milestone for the Swedish capital market. While over in Nepal, not such a happy gathering, investors were being arrested for staging a sit-in at the Nepal Stock Exchange offices in Badrakali. They were demanding the implementation of the recommendation report prepared by the task force formed under the coordination of the then Deputy Governor of Nepal Rastra Bank, Shivrai Shrihta, seeking capital market reform. 
One CEO being misrepresented on social media this week was the Bursa Malaysia boss, Mohamed Umar. The exchange issued a statement. It would like to reiterate that these Facebook pages have no relation to Mohamed Umar nor the exchange and measures are being taken to remove them. Well, hopefully Bursa Malaysia will have a better time getting the execrably useless Facebook numpties of Meta to remove this material than has been the case where somebody actually copied my, the Patrick L. Young Facebook page in its entirety almost a year ago and the Zucker barbarians have done absolutely nothing about it after umpteen calls, cries and complaints. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. Results this week. Busy week for results in the parish. One highlight, BVC Group. That's the Colombian Stock Exchange, which of course is soon going to be emerging into the Chilean and Peruvian exchanges. Great revenue numbers, up 25%. EBITDA up 16%. Merger costs, a bit of an issue there. Overall net profits down, unfortunately, 34%. In new markets this week, well, there seems to be life, possibly even a market actually happening. Archax, which has been, good grief, regulated now for, what, two years or more by the UK regulators. Apparently, they are actually launching their primary raise platform. Indonesia's IDX, they're going to be launching their carbon exchange on the National Independence Day. Then Nairobi Coffee Exchange is set to go live in April. Bursa Carbon Exchange has completed Malaysia's inaugural carbon auctions. And Coinbase is looking for a platform outside the United States of America. They don't know where, they don't know when, they don't know quite what. And this seems to be, well, the latest double down, quadruple down, octuple down. Some might say it's a Satoshi down. Okay, there are 100 million Satoshis in one Bitcoin, but there have been so many double downs by Coinbase so far in their short but highly troubled stock market history. Who knows where we're going at the moment? Anyway... Coinbase are apparently looking at delivering a new platform outside the United States of America, although they haven't decided where and under what regulatory base. Presumably that's to try and bulwark against the many regulatory clampdowns taking place in the United States of America. Very exciting week for deals. Let's just highlight a couple of major ones. The L4 Venture Builder, that's B3 of Brazil's venture building arm. They've taken a minority stake in Vermiculus. 10% of the surging Vermiculus software vendor. There's been a lot of volatility in the exchange vendor business of late. More on that to come. And Nils Robert Persson has led what amounts to a remarkable near stealth build out of a serious competitor to the established ventures, including, of course, Sinober, which he himself co-founded and is now within the Nasdaq domain. The announcement last month was, of course, that B3 was choosing Vermiculous to deliver a best-in-class CSD system. And now B3's venture arm have multiplied that with a hefty investment to acquire 10% of the vendor itself. That's a canny deal too, as B3 won't be viewed as a potential threat by many potential vermiculous clients. Elsewhere, Get Baltic. That gas market is going to become part of the EEX group, a further t- step towards Peter Wright's EEX empire building a pan-European gas market. Well done, Peter and team. 
Of course, what we can see in this world, ladies and gentlemen, is that it's a victory or death environment. And indeed, victory or death, blockchain, cryptocurrency and the fintech world was the name I appended to my most recent book. It's published by DV Books and distributed by Ingram Worldwide. While you're waiting for your copy of Victory or Death to arrive, check out our live stream. That's on at the moment, Tuesdays at 6pm London time. It's oscillating in other parts of the world due to the UK not having yet moved, along with Europe towards daylight saving time. Nonetheless, you can catch the IPO video live show. The back episodes are on LinkedIn, Facebook and YouTube. You can search via IPO-vid. Last week's show 99 was a wonderfully interesting segue into the world of numismatics with Colin Formosa. He's the Secretary General of the Malta Numismatic Society discussing Maltese money and more. Really, really worth a watch that, ladies and gentlemen. And coming on Tuesday, IPOVid hits its 100th episode and we're going to have the fabulous James Block of Dirty Bubble Media doing, guess what? Yes, indeed. James Block will be examining dirty bubbles. Don't miss that. Tuesday, 6pm London, 7pm European time. Product news, the London Metal Exchange is seeking to rebuild. Its first step back after the nickel nightmare was a major profile in the South China Morning Post this week. Of course, the parent company of LME being the Hong Kong Exchanges Group. It's interesting to note what has been going on there. There's also this unfortunate kerfuffle. 0.14%, I think it was, of the total amount of nickel stock turns out for the last three years to have been nothing other than rocks. Rocks that had been attributed to JP Morgan somewhere along the trading pattern of life. But nonetheless, JP Morgan were themselves entirely not guilty. They were in a Rotterdam warehouse. And obviously, a lot of people are very concerned about how that places LME at a time when major league players in the industry, such as Trafigura, all the way through to BHP, are requesting that the LME looks at reviewing the overall status of the contract specifications for the nickel product. That comes in the same week that the LME nickel lawsuits have now reached up to at least $581 million from aggrieved counterparties following the nickel nightmare last year. Meanwhile, on the Chinese mainland, the Guangdong government are helping the Guangdong Futures Exchange to explore weather futures. China has published draft rules for 30-year treasury futures trading at the CFFEX. Of course, that's the Chinese Financial Futures Exchange, which has already launched successfully futures contracts for 2-year, 5-year and 10-year Chinese government bonds. And indeed, watch this space, because that's somewhere that, thanks to Stock Connect, soon the Hong Kong exchanges will be moving into the same market. On the other hand, one piece of bad news, the China-Swiss stock link, that seems to have fallen victim to somewhat flimsy foundations. The Chinese securities regulator is halting applications from mainland listed firms seeking to sell their global depository receipts in Zurich. And finally, an ongoing scandal. We've got the Prime Minister and Finance Minister of Western Australia facing the music on the scandal at the Perth Mint. Many on the opposition Liberal Party are promising to ask the Labour politician uncomfortable questions about just why it was thought to be a good idea to reduce to just above the four nines threshold the purity of Perth Mint minted gold. Technology news this week. Börse Stuttgart, their crypto app Bison, it's expanded all the way back into legacy markets. It's now available to trade through to securities as well as the wonderful new new thing of crypto. The 
The head of EGX, Rami El Dukhani, announced this week the launch of the first centre to support innovative financial technology solutions for non-banking activities in Egypt under the name Gorbe. And AMX, that's the Armenian exchange, now under 65% ownership from the Warsaw Stock Exchange, they've launched a new trading system in the market, AMX Trader, which fully replaces the old RTS Armex Plaza system as the exchange of Armenia moves forward from its headquarters in Yerevan. Regulation news this week. Yes, that Chinese regulatory request. They asked the money brokers to suspend their data feeds. Quite a strange move to make uh, from any perspective and certainly plunged into chaos the entire interdealer broker market within China's mainland. At the same time, Belgium is making a pretty strong move. They're requiring all crypto ads to state the only guarantee in crypto is risk. Career paths this week. We got the Deutsche Börse annual report published for 2022. Most exciting piece of information there was the fact that Deutsche Börse's CEO, Theodor Weimer, received $12.2 million in total remuneration. That was more than doubling his 2021 package as he received a first tranche of performance-related shares. Now, that's nice work if you can get it, particularly as Theodor Weimer has been by far the most parochial, least often seen overseas CEO of DB1 in its entire history. In fact, Theodor Weimer's profile is so low overseas, he makes Terry Duffy of CME look quite the globetrotter by comparison. Most exciting career pass news of the week. Luc Bertrand will be helming the board of the TMX Group, replacing the retiring Charles of Vinograd as chairman. That's absolutely awesome news for both Luke and the Exchange Parish, as we learnt of this splendid piece of prodigal son repo. Luc Bertrand is the most influential individual in the modern history of Canadian exchanges. His revolution at the Bourse de Montreal shaped the TMX that exists today. In that respect, for Canada's financial markets to move forward at the quantum pace they must in a very competitive marketplace, there is simply no better believer in the Canadian Federation to drive the exchange group forward. It's a world of opportunity and Luke knows how to profit from that both within Canada and beyond. Meanwhile, changes to the NZX board. Rob Hamilton, he was a former CFO of the Sky City Casino in Adelaide. After he retired, the casino got embroiled in an AML KYC kerfuffle. He himself hasn't been named personally, although obviously there are concerns as he was the former CFO. In that regard, Hamilton has taken the sensible decision to step back from becoming the next chairman of the New Zealand Exchange. A shame for him personally, and obviously it's... It's great, though, that New Zealand exchanges can, at least in the short term, still rely on their excellent chairman, James Miller, who was due to retire at the annual shareholder meeting in April. I have to say selfishly for the parish, I think it would be much better if James actually stayed on for another term. But I think his work is probably done at NZX as far as he sees it, and he expects to stand down in due course. And that leaves us with a little automotive thought, ladies and gentlemen. Over a quarter, 25.7% of the new cars bought in the UK last year were grey, according to the industry body, the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders. The next most popular colours were black at 21.1% and white at 16.7%. Across the world, grey, black, white and silver cars account for more than 80% of 
the total number of cars sold globally. Part of the issue is apparently residuals. A healthy dose of, say, yellow, for example, the racing colour of Belgium, seeing as you wondered, that apparently means a price discount of 68% in the second-hand market, which means a more expensive lease or a simple capital loss to whoever's been leasing the car. Indeed, having just spent a week in that buzzing entrepot of American positivity, Florida, I'm minded to think their data may be a bit different, as they seem to have a lot of sunny and wonderfully colourful cars. Or perhaps that's because I only noticed the modern retro Mustangs, Camaros, Challengers nestling amongst the rice crushers and SUVs. Anyway, actually at the headline level across the whole federal US, the data is remarkably similar to the world. White 25.8%, black 22.3%, grey 18.4%, silver 12.1%, blue 9.5%, red 8.6%, brown 0.9%, green 0.8%. And on that... Mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen. I wish you all a great week in blockchain, life and markets. My name is Patrick L. Young, creator of Marketplaces the World Over and publisher of Exchange Invest, the water cooler of the Boris business. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our program, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.